Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by yours truly, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each week on Ciao Bella, I explore today's Italy, speaking with artisans, designers, hoteliers, architects, artists, Parmesan makers, in other words, the creators who are making the Italy that you love. So sit back and join in. enjoying the sun in Montalcino, which is a wine territory. Well, it's a town and a little territory in Tuscany, about 80 kilometers southwest of Florence. And we're really excited because we're here at Podre Leripi with Francesco Illi, the owner, and do we call you the ragazza del vino? Bottega, yeah, ragazza, ragazza del bottega, bottega. <laughs> Sebastian Nazello. Well, thanks for having us this morning. Um, we had a great visit yesterday. I thought we could first start out by just asking you a little bit about where we are in particular. Maybe you guys want to give us a little background about the area and then who you are. Yeah. So we are in uh, Montalcino. Montalcino is a uh, community uh, about 50 kilometers uh, south of, uh, of Siena, uh, which is very well known worldwide because uh, Montalcino produces the famous Brunello di Montalcino, which is a wine that uh, stays uh, very long in the cellar that can be sold only on the fifth after the fifth year being uh, refined into the cellar and Podere uh, Leripi uh, is uh, one of the about 250 wineries that are here in Montalcino and uh, we are in the southwest uh, of the region uh, a particularly beautiful place uh, that looks uh, east uh, that has a lot of uh, sunshine in the morning and uh, here in Montalcino I am since 1997 uh, and we're making wine uh, and we are uh, extremely delighted by the fact that we have uh, such a life uh, in paradise. Francesco, you're not originally from here. What, what brought you specifically to this place? Uh, no, I'm original from uh, Trieste. I lived about 20 years in Switzerland selling coffee. My name has something to do with coffee. <laughs> and uh, then uh, in uh, the 87, I fell in love in Tuscany. I said I want to have a house in Tuscany. Ten years later, I bought Podere Leripi. And Podere Leripi was not only a house, it was a house with lots of land. Uh, so we decided to plant the vineyards thinking to sell uh, the grapes. Uh, we didn't sell the grapes, uh, we began to make wine and we became winemakers. Uh, the German says, wie die Jungfrau zum Kind, like a diversion to the kid. So we didn't know how to do it, <laughs> but we did it. Yes, and Podere Leripi is, um, is today a very particular winery, uh, one of the few involved in biodynamic farming and uh, we have many, many different vineyards with different density and the idea is produce a wine where the expression and the soul of Montalcino, especially our little corner in Montalcino, has to be uh, very clear and easy to, to feel in the glass of wine. Let me just interrupt you a second, Sebastian. Um, why don't you explain to everybody what biodynamic wine is? Because I think a lot of people you know, we talked about a little bit about this yesterday. I think a lot of people know organic, um, and they've heard biodynamic, but I'd love for you to explain. Yeah, it's not very, very easy because uh, biodynamic uh, could be, biodynamic farming and also biodynamic uh, philosophy could be very personal 
and different for each winery or farms because at the end is a is a is a kind of farming based in a in a philosophy uh, made for for farms not for winery it's it's after that we decide to apply this kind of uh, farming to our winery but anyway is a is a very simple uh, way to work we we believe that our land is great himself and uh, we just need to keep the soil and the ecosystem alive and rich in biodiversity to to have um, a sustainable farming and more healthy product the beauty of our product are uh, coming from the the place where we are working as not by directly involved um, connected with our work or our skill or our technology we spend more time to try to not ruin this beauty and uh, we're not stressed to increase the quality by changing the man or by the manipulation of the, the grape in our in our in our wine but it's everything is very simple it's what our grandfather and our agent made in their story in their story and their work because uh, they didn't have the technology or the facilities or the chemical uh, or the all the tratamens now are uh, available for making farming and what they did is mostly follow the moon and work by the hand and keep the vine close to each other make the plants helping each other to to have more healthy food for the family and uh, i would also try to give uh, my view of biodynamics uh, uh, I started here from the very beginning being uh, uh, organic, but not certified. Um, why organic? Because uh, I uh, have seen in all these years how chemical molecules uh, are invented, uh, then they say they are wonderful, then they say they are really perfect, uh, then they begin to use them, then somebody begins to say, well, maybe it could be harm harmful and then it takes another years and, and at the end of the whole story that can go on of also half a century this becomes forbidden so mankind invents things uh, talking about DDT forever very simple example now when they invented DDT that was the biggest idea today DDT is ext it's extremely like dangerous. <laughs> it's the worst thing that you can have. So my reasoning was, I, I don't want to do uh, with my plants, uh, which becomes my fruit, which becomes my wine, which becomes what my client is going to drink. I don't want to do this curve experience, uh, which is bringing us to know that maybe this was not so harmless. No? So this was the decision at the beginning. But then when we went into biodynamics, we understood immunity that if you go only organic without bringing anything to the soil, the soil is going to be used and you're going to still lose some organic matter that should be into the soil. And then we began to use the biodynamics. The biodynamics uh, brings organic matter continuously into the soil, which enriches the mycorrhiza. And the enrichment of the mycorrhiza is extremely important because this brings uh, complexity to the soil, life to the soil, and this life becomes life uh, into the wine at the end. Uh, the systems that we've been using all these years, uh, let's say the last century, uh, with chemicals, what we call conventional, is uh, going after the idea that uh, if something uh, bothers me, I can find a system to, let's say, control it. But in fact, it, 
it's not controlling, it's killing it. No, I have an insect, I have a fungus, I have a, 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 a bacteria, so I go and I, I just destroy it. No? And uh, this brings uh, to a huge loss of life, uh, la huge loss of complexity, at the same time, a huge loss of CO2 into the atmosphere, because uh, when you have lots of organic matter into the soil, this is keeping carbon because life is on the base of sea. If you leave it into the, into the air, then you have the problem of the CO2. So taking all these things together, Biodynamics does exactly the opposite, because instead of uh, controlling through killing, it is controlling through antagonism. So I have a certain kind of uh, small spider, I put another small spider, which is uh, an antagonist, and so I keep the disease under control. And this is working very, very well with uh, biodynamics. So you have a richer soil, which is giving you a more complexity, a bigger complexity in the ailments of the front, uh, which is giving you a more complex wine, and it's certainly a much more healthy wine. And in Montalcino is perfect because uh, it's, a, it's a very different wine region. Uh, many wine, very popular wine regions like Montalcino around the world are just covered by vineyard. Montalcino has this huge brand, but uh, uh, the community was able to preserve the landscape and the harmony and the biodiversity in the in the hill. This is why just 15% of the surface is vineyard. All around the vineyard there are forests, uh, wild land, lake and olive trees. And this makes the ecosystem more with more biodiversity and more balance, more harmony and is great. Are the farmers um, are they actually act actively also planting forests as well? Are they like um, if, if they, you know, you were, we were talking a little bit about this before, you know, the 15% that they can plant on, but then are they bringing in? It's, uh, the hill has is, is been uh, historically covered by forest. Mm -hmm. What we did is uh, avoid to, to destroy the forest to do more vineyard. And uh, Montalcino was this community of farmer living in a hill very far from the town. We never had a, a connection. The road always been bad, and we never had a provider of food or big company of service. This is why the community is being involved in all the aspects of farming, like animal, olive trees, vineyard, and this is why all around the hill there are forests where our grandfather had the animal for themselves or produced the carbon for, for the fire. And at the same time, thousand meters far you have olive trees field and after a vineyard and some space for the grain it's uh, I think the, the beauty of this hill and the outcome is a result of our story and the community and let's let's talk just a little bit about Brunello let's let everybody know what that is because I know that um, I think it was pre-world war II Brunello was considered very rare um, it wasn't really or it wasn't very well known um, yeah, there were a very little amount of producers uh, because Brunello has been invented by the family Biondi Santi around uh, 1880. Uh, and uh, then uh, it began slowly to grow. Today we are up to 250 producers, as I said before, and uh, uh, there's a lot of people making also very, very beautiful products. Uh, uh, the characteristic of Brunello is, number one, to be 100% uh, Sangiovese grape. It must be, by disciplinary. The second characteristic is that these wines uh, have to stay a longer time into the cellar. So, first of all, they have to be at least two years in oak, 
usually big oak, but you are not obliged to do big oak. Some people work also with barriques that are small barrels, they are 225 liters barrels. We work mostly with uh, 2,000 uh, up to 4,000 liter uh, uh, oak uh, casks. And, uh, and then the second characteristic is that the wine must stay into the cellar about five years. And only after five years it go out to market. So this means that this is one of the rare, pretty rare wines uh, that cannot go to market if they don't have had uh, a very, very important aging in the cellar. And the Reserva uh, has another year? The or? Reserva has one year more, exactly. The Reserva has one year more. So uh, this is the peculiarity of the Brunello, which means that those wines uh, are going to be mostly big wines, important wines. And uh, the market is uh, appreciating this uh, more and more and more. Uh, and uh, Brunello is actually having a very, very strong... Uh, success uh, in the last uh, 25 to 30 years. Now you guys have, I think, and I, if I counted correctly, is it four different labels? Oh, I just lost my voice. Um, it's a wine. A wine. Yeah. It's a wine from last night, right? <laughs> or the allergies. Um, because I see there's Amore Magia, Cielo di Olisse, um, there's, that's the IGT, there's the Brunella Riserva, and then there's Bonsai, is that correct? Or yeah, uh, let's say uh, uh, we were born uh, with uh, about 13 hectares uh, of land, of which nine was Sangiovese, two was Merlot, and two was Syrah. We still have the Syrah, the Merlot is going to be graft uh, last uh, year, uh, two years ago. We bought another winery and we became uh, 32 hectares. So when you have 32 hectares, uh, you will have uh, uh, different qualities that are coming out from these uh, grapes that you bring in the cellar. And these different qualities are not always going to be the same from the same uh, vineyard, because uh, you can have a vineyard that this year is making you a very, very big result, and next year is going to be a less good result. So you need to differentiate uh, kind of uh, uh, few different labels in which you say, so this is the more basic wine and this is the best one that we can do. And that's why we are now having uh, one IGT, which is called uh, uh, Amore Follia. Then uh, we have a Rosso. Then we have uh, one Brunello that is coming from the new winery, two Brunellos coming from Poderne Ripi, and then we have the Bonsai. The bonsai is something completely different because this is an experiment uh, that we do in a very small amount. We're talking about six uh, to 1,000, 600 to 1,000 bottles per year in the densest vineyard in the world. It's a vineyard uh, that has the plants so narrow that either they go down with the roots to search uh, for their uh, food or they die. How and far away are they planted? Like a meter? No, 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 no. It's 40 centimeters. It's, uh, let, let's say it's a, a foot and a third okay. from plant to plant. So they are, the, the, the density of a vineyard in Montalcino is roughly about 5,000 uh, roots per hectare. Uh, Burgundy is extremely high, density is 10,000 roots per hectare. The bonsai is 62,500 roots per hectare. So it's six times more dense than, the, than, the, than um, Burgundy. And uh, this was an experiment that I did because I was thinking uh, uh, 
uh, I want to see what happens uh, if they put them so narrow that uh, either they go down or they die. And it works because they understand that they have to go down and they go down very quickly. So when the roots go so deep, uh, so fast, uh, uh, what happens uh, is that uh, um, in about 10 feet, 3 meter depth, uh, you always have humidity. The plants are not going to suffer from the uh, water stress. And at the same time, the plants are going to go through different geological layers that came in in the millennium, in the, in the millennium, in the millions of years. And each layer has a different mineral composition. This is going to bring an ailment to the plant that is uh, extremely uh, differentiated. And this differentiation in the ailment of the plant, uh, you're going to find it also in the fruit, and at the end in the complexity of the wine, the complexity of the aroma spectrum, the complexity of the structure of the wine. When you decided to do this, though, I mean, what did every, what did the wine, what other winemakers think? What were people saying? Were now, at the beginning, everybody was thinking, I'm crazy. Now that we sell this wine uh, as the most important and most expensive wine that we have, and, uh, uh, and people... Uh, uh, want to have it anyway? They understood that it was not uh, such a stupid thing. But nobody, <laughs> no, nobody, uh, nobody uh, did the same yet. Uh, it's gonna happen. It takes years. How, uh, how much is how much is a bottle of bonsai? Uh, we sell it now to two hundred and fifty euros, uh, and uh, still uh, we don't have bonsai <laughs> because it's always sold. It's, uh, it's beautiful because people, uh, when the people arrive here and we try to, to show them how our work behind the bottle, we, we walk in the vineyard, we walk in the cellar, we, we try to look and touch everything. And uh, when we show the bonsai, people are very, are very surprised to, have, uh, to see this vineyard with very high density. Uh, but at the end, what I think is uh, we are too much uh, used to see vineyard where the vine are just in a row with a big space between the row for the machine. Mm -hmm. But this kind of vineyard are just the results of uh, our necessity to use the machine to save some cost and to make some work lighter for, for the human. Mm, but in our story, we always had vineyard with a very high density because the vine loves to be close each other. Uh, vine through the roots help each other. They compete for the soil. They and the mycorrhiza grow better. And they also the covering and the shadow that we can have with this vine close each other improve the soil in terms of organic matter because we don't have this uh, very strong sun over the soil able to oxidate all the organic matter and losing the famous CO2 that Francesco was talking about. And at the end, having this vineyard is a, it's very, it's, it's a big challenger because it's hard work, but uh, what we see, the fruit are great, and the link between the vine and the location where they are growing is incredibly strong, having these deep roots, and is the, for me, the easy way to show the terroir, the, the soul of our vineyard, without uh, just having deep roots and vine that are living here, not because we are there to feed them with fertilizer or providing water, but just because they have all that they need in the place where they are growing. Let's talk about this, this place where they're growing. Let's talk, because we had an incredible walk through yesterday and you guys are doing a very new project that not many people are doing. Um, that I guess is starting this year, the visit, because you know, it's, it's not just about this small acreage of vines, it's about the overall experience in the vineyards and 
the, the farming experience. And Sebastian, I know, and also it's also about how young you guys are. Um, so first of all, Sebastian, when did you come to Potrele um, Ipi? I'm arrived in 2012. I studied wine for many years, and uh, I the first I am arrived in Montalcino ten years ago, and the first three years I worked for another winery completely different, and it's been fun because when uh, at the end of my study I had many books. I was a great student. I I love study, uh, and I I have this mentality where. Uh, the, the human, uh, through the skill, through the knowledge, are able to do and control the process and make uh, really the difference in terms of quality. But when I'm arriving in Poderele Ripi, especially uh, spending time uh, directly involved with the, with the vineyard, with the, with the seller, I understood the less I touch and normally better is the results and the wine. Uh, it's, it's something strange and looks a bit crazy, but at the end, if you uh, if you are in a great place like we are, um, every time that we try to, we believe to know, to know how to change something, how to manipulate the nature, we, there is, we can do huge mistake. And uh, thanks to Francesco that has this mentality and teach me about uh, this way to work. I, now we are very confident in our, in our vineyard, we are very confident in the Sangiovese grape and we know that if sometimes uh, the process, the fermentation probably looks too long for our uh, expectation or the wine or we don't understand the wine because it's evolving in the cellar, it's not uh, a problem of the wine, it's probably a problem of ourselves, like human, no? and we have to be more patient and wait and try to understand and give all the time and the, and, and the respect that the product itself needs to, to be great after the right time. <coughs> I think we have to think that uh, Homo sapiens is about two to three hundred thousand years old. This nature here is uh, many, 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 many millions older. The experiments that the nature did before us are much more than those that we can do. So nature knows much better than we do. Let's talk a little bit about the nature here because now you've opened this beautiful um, garden experience. Yeah. And I know this was how we met because you wanted to share that with me. Yeah. And we brought our daughter here yesterday and it was, it was great. I mean, we were walking through well, for me, the best part was seeing the Bug Hotel. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you created? Okay, it's, it's uh, I think it's a dream because uh, as a biodynamic winery, we always uh, dream uh, not just a, a winery, but a farmhouse. Because a farmhouse is, uh, is much more complete in terms of uh, harmony. There are uh, different animals, different plants. And the idea to have a, a company just involved in one kind of plants with buying, uh, it's not uh, harmonious. It's a kind of monoculture business and uh, it's not healthy for the place. It's not, uh, it's not in balance with the ecosystem. And now finally we had this possibility, opportunity to invest, to, to take some land of our property and uh, having different plants and different animals and increasing the biodiversity. 
and uh, we just say okay that's the time we did this uh, amazing garden and uh, at the same time we decided also to show the garden to the people because for us is uh, is the best way to 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 make the people understand why montalcini is producing such a great wine uh, this biodiversity this idea of farmer involving wine making and, and Brunello coming not by the, from the winemaker, but from special pieces of land. As, uh, it's very easy to explain, taking the people around the garden and explain why we spend so much time in the vineyard, in the, in the, in the garden too, and why the soil has to be alive, why you have to look the worms inside the soil, or it's, uh, and it's super hands-on. And this is something that the people love and never forget. This is why, yeah. We work at the garden for all the winter, and now finally we are ready. Yeah, at the end, this garden is uh, completing uh, work uh, that has been done in the last uh, 20 years, uh, because uh, uh, the fact to have the garden and the animals uh, uh, closes completely the cycle uh, of biodynamics, because before having this, th we were obliged to buy outside uh, some biodynamics, uh, uh, some biodynamic products, and uh, preparates and all this stuff, and, and, and the tisane and things like that. Now we are going to be able to produce all that by our own, which means that the, you know, biodynamics has to do also with something that could be looked at as a little bit magical, but. Uh, uh, it, there is also this concept of the energy. So you're using the energy of the place uh, to produce uh, the things that you need uh, to increase uh, uh, the, the, the result uh, into your own fields and at the end into your own wine. And I see that the more we respect this concept, the more the wines are getting better. And uh, we are very, very happy with our quality and we know that we can increase it much more through that, it's going to be increased. So, you, so the animals, just to let everyone know, we, there's going to be uh, there are chickens. Um, we saw the donkey. There are we didn't see them because they hid from us. The, the goats, yeah. pecore sheep, and canina, canina beef, so cows, um, and then the garden itself. Because one of the things that you said earlier, you said that a farmhouse is harmony. Yeah. And harmony is something that I noticed is also part of the design because. In the design of the garden is the golden rectangle, which is about the per perfect harmony and balance. And so they have a spiral in the um, they have a spiral in or the golden spiral or the golden. We, I call it in art the golden rectangle, but they have the, the spiral, which is supposed to be the perfect balance, of harmony in nature, and that's part of the layout of your garden. And that's where um, that's kind of the apex where you have the, the different levels of where they were they were. Um, because first of all. Uh, uh, it's a, a synergic garden. It's not a normal garden. It's a, of course biodynamic, but there are different plants that are growing together and uh, over um, this kind of bed of trims and straw to, to keep the soil more alive and save more water in the soil. And uh, the girl who helped us to design the, set, the, the garden, uh, Georgia, I was uh, super passionate in the, um, in the cosmo, in the biodynamic energy, in the synergies between the plants. And when we decided to des design this place, we did all our best to, to help a uh, super harmonious place and where plants can live together, not produce, live together.
the synergy is very important uh, because uh, uh, there are plants that live together, there are plants that uh, live well together, so they help each other, and there are plants that kill each other. I remember one day I had a very small plant uh, near uh, a palm tree that I have here in a vase. And somebody came and told me, this palm tree is going to kill this plant. And the palm tree killed the plant. So uh, as you have this phenomenon of plants that are fighting each other, you also have the phenomenon of plants that are helping each other. And the idea of the biodynamic synergetic garden is to put the plants that help each other together. And this is going to help you, first of all, into controlling all the eventual diseases or disturbances, because grass is not a disease, but it's a disturbance that you don't want to have. So, and first of all, it's helping this. And second, it's going to bring you a better quality of the, of the vegetable that you're going to get. And I think that synergy also ends up getting reflected in your team because I see just spending time with, with all of you, I see that you've, you've created incredible synergy amongst all of you. You're 18, did you say? Yeah, 18 and very young. But I think uh, uh, this, uh, this team very young and uh, passionate is, uh, is something of unusual in, in Italy. Is, uh, we had, thanks to Francesco, the opportunity to, to work like uh, be in our home and uh, we feel a part of the project, we feel uh, uh, important, and it's, it's great. I mean. Yeah, that, for me, uh, it's important that people feel well uh, where they work. Because my impression is that if you love what you're doing and working is an important part of your day, uh, you are going to be more happy, and uh, if you're more happy, everything goes better. Yeah. Now, speaking of happy, um, something that made me incredibly happy, and I know made Darius very, very happy when we came here, was seeing your Cantina Aurea. And I know you wanted to ask some questions, and let's yeah. talk a little bit about the yeah, Cantina. I mean, I definitely have the same kind of, you know, mentality in my work, like I'm being an archaeologist, living in Rome, being in the location that I want to be, and I decided that, and then ultimately I'm happy that I can and work in that environment. And it's just, it's like a dream every day. It doesn't feel like work. So I, I kind of, I, I got that vibe just, you know, being here and spending the day and seeing how everyone's participating in something much more than just a job. But you just see the passion that, that comes out and, and also in the products. And then for me, it's just really, really special. In addition to seeing uh, this, this synergy with nature, and to see that how you made your cantina in the ancient Roman style, which is so incredibly impressive. So you didn't make something that looks like it's ancient. You actually went, took the had all that uh, insight and then passion to follow through to, to make something in a way that nobody makes it. What? How did that uh, come about? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's <coughs> quite an amazing structure. Well, I always uh, speak about uh, the idea that uh, not having money means uh, to have time. And uh, <laughs> it exactly happened. Yeah, but you, you look at the houses uh, of uh, centuries ago. Look at uh, how people, uh, I was looking at this in Morocco, for instance. Now people uh, have little money, but have a lot of time. Uh, everything that they have, the house, uh, the outside, the garden, it's always uh, very, very beautiful. Why? Because they have the time to care about it. No? And uh, I had the time to care about my project, so it took about seven years to make the project. 
At the beginning, the idea was to make a beautiful concrete block like everybody else. And then at the end, we understood from the firm, uh, pretty, pretty fast that uh, we wanted to have uh, uh, wines that stay very long in our cellar. We have wines that stay in the cellar up to 80 years before we go to market. And uh, then we said, uh, in these eight years that the wine stayed there, I want to have a, uh, a um, ambience in which the wine is protected. So I don't want to have Faraday cages. I don't want to have extra magnetic fields. Uh, I don't like uh, uh, cement. Uh, cement is done with uh, scoria. How do you say scoria? Uh, with with, with partially with trash. Uh, um, begin to think in the level of energies, begin to think in the level of uh, homeopathics, uh, then uh, you stay in a cement uh, eight years uh, and the cement is still uh, leaving uh, some stuff. That you don't, so the idea was, no, I want something much more natural for that. And uh, so we came um, very quickly to the idea, well, uh, using uh, 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 bricks, uh, uh, that are uh, of terracotta. We are using uh, <laughs> uh, 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 how do you call it? Uh, lime? No, no, it's not lime. Clay. No. Clay. Yeah. We are using clay coming from the soil that has been cooked, so it's perfectly natural. Mm -hmm. We are going to use a murderer, and we use the murderer that is coming from lime, uh, cooked lime, and uh, so the elements are perfectly natural. You can build very easily, the Romans knew how to do it a very, very long time, without armoring, because you can make shape of the structure that is giving the forces down in a certain particular way, and the thing stay there without that you are obliged to reinforce it with iron or with concrete. Mm -hmm. And then We've been working on that concept uh, seven years, uh, and at the end of the seven years, we arrived to this idea where we have a central pantheon, which is built only of one single brick. The whole wall of the pantheon, the whole uh, uh, cupola of the pantheon is one brick. And then outside, you have this tour that is going around, uh, two rounds uh, going down uh, with six meters 22, which is about 20 feet. Uh, in which uh, we can work, uh, and first we have the uh, fermentation room, then we have the uh, affination uh, room, uh, and, uh, and then we have the cement part, because our wines stay about three years in uh, oak, and then about two to, two to six months uh, in cement, uh, in, uh, in, in big tanks, uh, and then it goes to bottle. So uh, the, the whole structure uh, became a perfectly Roman structure because uh, there is uh, no uh, modern technique uh, used in the construction of this building. Mm -hmm. It's 750,000 bricks laid by hand by uh, <laughs> four people, four to eight people in, <laughs> in four years. Uh, so it's been a pretty important work. But uh, it also looks uh, important. It looks like a monument. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and what is also very interesting is that all the measures of this cellar are in golden cut. So uh, we tried to put in the dimensions of the whole cellar, uh, all the, in, in all the measures, uh, this uh, number, which is uh, seen as the number of harmony. Mm. 
they say uh, the galaxies uh, are shaped uh, on golden cut. They say Stonehenge, the pyramids, uh, the DNA. Uh, yeah. uh, many plants have uh, this uh, number in their uh, way they um, they grow. So it looks like that. Uh, uh, this is the number of, of harmony, and I like that, and that's why I made it uh, in this uh, in this shape. Well, what you were showing us yesterday was how you have that small sliver that cut out, and um, and the light travels through. So, what is it on the? It's on the twenty first of June. No, the the the, uh, and the, the hole is directed exactly to the south, so the sunshine gets into the hole in the moment uh, in which the sunshine is at its highest point during the day. And the sunshine uh, goes up and down uh, in summer to, to winter into the sky. So this means that the sunshine is going to put the light uh, in uh, June at uh, a little bit uh, more than the center of the cellar. And uh, in December, it's going from June to December, it's going slowly through the whole cent cellar and up the wall to a point where it reaches uh, on the 21st of December. And we want to make a uh, sunshine calendar because uh, the sunshine is going to hit that spot uh, every time, every year on that particular day. So take the 21st of, uh, which is the equinox, uh, uh, of uh, <clears throat> March and of September, the sunshine is going to be forever in this spot. This, yeah. So we want to make this uh, sunshine calendar, but it's a very, very difficult project. Uh, there is this beautiful uh, uh, sunshine calendar that I've, I've seen uh, a, a few times in, in Rome, in Santa Maria degli Angeli, mm -hmm. and, and, and this, this inspired me because uh, the idea of having this sense of time, no? You have a calendar that is telling you when the day is beautiful, at noon the sunshine comes in and it says today is the 13th of April 2019, we know it, but 13th of April, it's this next year, next year it's forever. It's always going to be there. Yeah. That's the church that Michelangelo designed, correct? That's right, out of the Frigidarium on the Baths of Diocletian. And the Romans, you know, I mean, obviously the, the Pantheon is, itself as well has the sun shining in at different times yeah. of the year. My favorite is uh, April 21st, which is also the birthday of Rome. You know, Romans founds Rome on the 21st of April, as so they say, and uh, and the sunshine hits the doorway. So just in that threshold, it's just bathed in sunlight. Ah. It's beautiful. So that's a that's a nice time of year. They don't, they don't have a calendar in the Pantheon, but for example, on June 20th or 21st, I always, when, when our little one was a baby, I would take her and stand in the center of the Pantheon at one o'clock, and the sun would come straight down, and I'd hold her up, and I'd go, Because ah. <laughs> we, we kind of we like antiquity. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, the same, it's the same sort of thing. It's always counting those moments. Speaking, speaking of which, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the labels, because um, on on the labels of Podere Leripi, there's, looks like sirens, some mermaids. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not. This or, is not Amato. No, this is not no, your dog. No, it's, no, it's a wolf. <laughs> well, his dog is a wolf. <laughs> a half wolf. But can you this, tell? this should be a real wolf. And yeah, when I did the label, I asked a friend of mine to do me a, a um, heraldic symbol, and uh, it came out with this. Uh, and 
Then we asked, he asked me, well, what, what, what an animal would you like to have? You know, the symbol has often an animal. I said, I want to have the wolf. The wolf, uh, I like the wolf. Uh, and, and the wolf was, at the time, uh, totally disappeared. Uh, and uh, now it's not disappeared anymore. Mm -hmm. We are also scared about our animals down there, mm -hmm. uh, about the wolves. <coughs> and so it came to this idea. And at the end, uh, we've been putting all this together. And uh, then uh, we took also the mermaids inside. Uh, so the wolves represent the man, the mermaids represent the female. And when the design was finished, uh, I looked at this label, at this, uh, I mean, at, at this picture, and I said, well, this is Lupia Sirene, which means wolves and mermaids, and that was the name of the, of the wine. And then you have another wine called Cervio di, di, di Ulisse. Cielo di Ulisse, yes, this is Cielo di Ulisse. But Cielo di Ulisse was, was born, uh, was born uh, for, a, uh, for a wine type that uh, has been a little bit uh, all around. And I say, when you have a, uh, a, a wine uh, type, I say type, but it's not the correct thing, uh, um, like Syrah, like Merlot, like uh, Cabernet, Sangiovese, that goes uh, around the world uh, because uh, you find it in California, you find it in Australia, you find it in South uh, Africa, all over the world. Uh, I say it's like Ulysses because uh, Ulysses goes uh, to, through the Odyssey to different places. And when he goes to a place, he learns things from the place, but he also brings his things to the place. So there is an interchange of cultures and uh, so I said, uh, I like this idea of a, of a wine variety that is bringing his own culture, but is also taking from the culture of the space. And the culture of the space is not only the geology, the microclimatology, uh, it's also the people, how they work. It's the, the whole thing. So th th there is an interchange between the culture of this variety and of the place where it comes. And then I said, uh, well, uh, this uh, for me looks like Ulysses. Uh, and uh, then I called this wine Sky of Ulysses uh, because uh, uh, everything happens under the sky. And I asked myself, well, how did Ulysses come back? Because Ulysses was a navigator. I'm also a navigator. But uh, uh, I am a navigator and I have a very important instrument to navigate. It's called compass. <laughs> and Ulysses did not have the compass. So how could he know how I'm going to get back home if not through the sky, the night sky, and the star navigation? And that's why I made this uh, label with the idea of the star navigation of Ulysses. And you see Ulysses that is going away. And on the label you have all these uh, uh, stars uh, and uh, representing... Uh, the Southern Cross for the Southern Hemisphere and also the, 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 the big uh, chair uh, for the Northern Hemisphere. What about um, An Amore Magia? It looks like it's a poem. There. Amore Magia, it's uh, well, more than a poem. Uh, what is it? Uh, you can call it a haiku, something like that. Is the so Amore Magia was, uh, was uh, Born uh, talking uh, to a uh, journalist uh, about my father. My father was a very curious guy, and I was saying, well, maybe curiosity was the, the baseline about his life. 
And I came to this, call it, haiku, call it mantra, uh, curiosity leads to culture, because if you're curious, you go into the thing, you go deeper, and you become a culture about it. Uh, leads to sensitivity, leads to enthusiasm, which leads to love, which leads to magic, which leads to universal love, because everybody feels the magic. Therefore, curiosity is a universal gift. So what I mean with this, uh, it's uh, something that I want to give to young people. Somebody cops once in a while and says, I don't know what I would do in my life. I say, just one thing, be curious. Because if you're curious, you're going to be a cultured about that. And then your sensitivity and your enthusiasm about that is going to increase. So you're going to be in love with it, and you're going to make things that you are love in love, and things that you make with love become automatically magic. And then I say, why is it a universal uh, love? Because everybody understands it, so you don't need to have done all this procedure to understand what is magic. You see it, you taste it, and you say, hey, it's magic. And that's why I say, at the end, curiosity is a universal gift. And uh, I, I think that that's the way you should go in life. So be curious, uh, and then uh, it works. And this has been a trilogy because we did, uh, this was the very beginning, no? It's kind of uh, the way, in my opinion, you should act uh, and you would reach that. And the second that came after is uh, Amore e Follia. So this is Amore, Magia, Love and, love and Magic. This, uh, the second one is Amore e Follia, which is Love and Folly. I said this one is very important, the first one. Uh, but uh, we need a second uh, mantra, and the second mantra has to do also with, you must be curious, but you also have to be a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy, you know? And this goes, love is essentially crazy, but the outcome, as foolish as it might be, is always magical. Therefore, be crazy, my friend. Which is just what I've seen in the back of your, yeah. your pen. Yeah, this is the ultima. And, uh, and, and this came a little bit later. So the first is a kind of uh, a, the dream is uh, be curious. At the end, you're going to do something special. Then, well, OK, if you only dream, but you are not a little bit crazy, you don't have the courage to do things that are So you've got to be also a little bit crazy. And this uh, came out uh, when Leripi was a success. So this was done when I was dreaming to do Leripi. This came out when Leripi was already a success. Uh, and this is dreams and folly. And this is uh, dreams uh, come, come from the depth. They come from the deep of ourselves. Uh, they seem foolish to us, but it is the courage to believe in this folly that shapes our life. So believe in your dreams and they will come true. So this is the trilogy. <laughs> and I mean, it's true. I began with the curiosity and Leripi is a dream That's that came true. <laughs> This is, this is the beautiful dream, and I'm happy that we had a, a moment to share it with you. So thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you, Sebastian, for your enthusiasm. And um, I think we're going to have to eventually drink more wine. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao Bella. You can find all my episodes on iTunes, and if you have time, subscribe, rate, and let me know your thoughts on the podcast. You can also be part of the podcast by donating. Find Ciao Bella on Patreon.com, where with as little as $1, you get behind-the-scenes photos and videos as I travel all throughout Italy. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafirpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafirpo. Ciao Bella! And a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Dis to Dis Studios, the producers of Ciao Bella who continue to make me sound and feel great.